You're listening to episode 37 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. If Spider-Man was more anatomically correct to that of a spider, he'd shoot Webb out of his butt. <laughs> Thanks for that. I, I guess. It's true. Appreciate it. I mean, sure. Nope, it's true. Thanks. <laughs> he'd shoot Webb's out of his butthole. Phil... Let me ask you a question. All right. Do you take pride in doing this show? Absolutely. I think I think the listeners need to know. <laughs> I am the voice of the voiceless. <laughs> you bust me up, Phil. I'm going to kick your ass back to Yancey Street. Let's get the show going. <laughs> I wanted to start the show off uh, by telling you guys a story. It's a story about me being a complete dumbass oh god yeah so here's the deal i bought tickets to see spider-man right and i want to see spider-man on friday because i see all these movies on friday uh not thursday i don't believe in that i believe you go when everyone's there on friday night and so on thursday i did buy my tickets to see spider-man for 7 30 uh now I play World of Warcraft on weekdays, and after I was done, I got an email from AMC saying, thank you for seeing Spider-Man. Oh, no. (laughs) And so, in that moment, I realized I screwed up, and I had purchased tickets for Thursday instead of Friday. So, not only that, but I purchased tickets for 3D. So, I spent... Way more money than I should have. I spent $100 on these tickets oh, uh, for no. five people. Oh, how expensive are tickets in New York City? They're $20, $20 a piece for, the for, the 3D. for 3D. You went to the one in the city, right? Yeah. The, so Times Square? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wrong so, choice, buddy. That's what I love. So, I, I now, of course, I bought these tickets. None of the five people got to see the movie. So, I had to eat that. And then buy them again, right? Oh, for Friday. you bought them for five people? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, after the movie, I went to guest services, and I was able to uh, get them to say that I could use these tickets to see any movie that I want in the future. I can redeem the ticket, and they'll let me use it to see another movie. Okay. So, my, my question, yeah, all's well that ends well. My question to you guys is, now that I have five movie tickets, what are the five movies that I should see? Now, let's let's assume I can see any movie I want to see. I want each one of you to tell me what movie you think I should use one of those tickets to go and see. I thought this was going a different way. I thought you were going to be like, since I have five tickets, the five of us are going to go see Justice That's League. That's what I was, I was like, thinking, God yeah. God damn it. That, that's... Great, but that's not what I'm going to use the tickets um, for. <laughs> so, Sean, I'm, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, I think you set us up for the random question of the week! Sure. <laughs> I just, <you> delivered it. <laughs> Didn't intend that, but sure. Uh, all right, so any five movies, like, of all time or that are coming up? I just want you each to choose one. Oh, okay. Baby um, Driver. I haven't seen Baby Driver yet, but I've heard it's great. So, I mean, probably. But if we're going on movies that I'm excited for that are coming up, it's probably Valerian. That's the movie I'm most looking forward to. Atomic Blonde? Oh, Atomic Blonde. That looks good. That uh, murder mystery on the train? Oh, yeah. 
uh, uh, murder of the Orient Express or whatever. Something like that. Mystery yeah, of yeah. the Orient Express. Yeah. Not looking forward to any of the movies you guys have mentioned so far. <laughs> You're not so, looking forward to Atomic Blonde? No. So it sounds like my summer's going <laughs> to suck. Uh, Sean only likes superhero movies, Phil. No, because I'm going to see The Dark Tower. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's a magic book. <laughs> a ma- that's a magic book. No, it's not. That's a uh, magical book. What What would Kale say? What would Kale's pick be? Uh, well. <laughs> uh, is there a Common Riders movie? No. Common Riders? That's, come on. <laughs> uh, I think he would probably go with Valerian or Atomic Blonde. I know I've yeah, heard he'd say Atomic Blonde. Yeah. He's expressed interest in both of those movies, and him and I talked about doing a Valerian review, so. All right, uh. I would pick The Dark Tower for myself, and uh, it sounds like I have one ticket to spare, so what am I seeing? Oh, uh, Thor, I guess, later in the year, or Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Star Wars? Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars. Wars. All right. Gosh, I thought you guys were going to like make me go see horrible films. No, I'm trying to pick good movies. I don't even know what Thank bad you. movies are coming out, though, you know? Like, I don't... I'm, yeah. My finger's not, like, that on the pulse of what's coming out. Uh, so, if you guys at home want to write in and let me know what five movies i should go see transformers uh, the last night god, had to cut no. you off for that no. oh my god that's no. see that's awful no one should oh. see that movie let that War franchise of the fucking of the Apes. die oh yes phil yes. yeah that's actually a good movie i really want yeah to yeah see yeah it. i love Back that. To a bad movie 47 meters down the mummy <laughs> oh i don't know if it's still playing anywhere but um i saw the captain underpants movie and that was actually legitimately pretty good for as far as kids movies go you know, as far really? as your animated fair. Yeah, it was charming. Very true to the source material. I went and saw it with my dad uh, for his birthday. And because we used to read those books when I was a kid. And we both got a kick out of it. Nice. So, as oh, I was all saying. on me. As I was saying, Phil, uh, if you guys want to write in and tell me what movies I should go see, there are many ways you can reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast, for which we are very proud. You can keep that trend going if you want to, uh, or not, if you don't. You can write to us there as well. Uh, you can reach out to us on SoundCloud. You can listen to the podcast there. You guys have been very supportive on SoundCloud, so let's keep that going. Uh, you can also write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can find us at the Comics Pals wherever wherever social media is sold. And last but not least, you can reach out to us on YouTube. If you are listening to this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop a comment, uh, subscribe to the channel, which is super important, and share this video with your friends. Let your friends know that we are your pals and that we exist. Um, so. Beyond all that stuff, uh, it's been a huge week. Obviously, the Spider-Man film has released. We're going to do a review of that a little later Woo-woo! on. Woo! Yes, yes. Super I'm a happy boy that. this week. <laughs> he doesn't shoot webs out of his butt, though. Oh, my God. Okay. So, uh, every now and then, you guys decide you want to write in and talk to us. We're always very happy to hear from you. And uh, we're going to read some of your mail on the air. Pete, take it away. Time for fan mail! Somebody should write in and give us a name for this segment, because we still don't have one. Alright, so, we've got uh, our first piece of mail. Comes from a friend of the show, Jimmy, who writes in for the second time and says, Hey pals, I'm writing in once again because I have some topics I want to discuss that I've heard brought up on the Comics Pals and on the Video Game Pals. First up, Morrison's Batman run. 
Batman is my favorite comic book character. I started by reading Snyder's Batman run. Over the past two years, I did a large read-through of Batman's history that included Morrison's run. I've heard Sean and many others give Morrison's run very high praise, but I feel like I'm missing something. I definitely thought it was enjoyable, but I don't think it was better than Snyder's, and I definitely think that there are better Batman stories out there. The things I liked most about Morrison's run were the introduction of Damien. He's my second favorite Robin behind Dick. And I really enjoyed his Batman and Robin run where Dick is Bat and he let Damien take up the Robin mantle. Anyway, I'm looking for, I'm looking for Sean's opinion as to what, oh, excuse me, as to what this run does and why he thinks it is the best. I'm happy to listen to the other pals' opinions on this one too. Uh, and then the rest of his email we saved for tomorrow on the video game pals, so we'll read that over there. Uh, and then he wraps up by saying, thanks pals, you make my days at work better. Smiley face. Thanks for writing in, Jimmy. Awesome. Appreciate that. And I appreciate you recognizing me as the sole massive fan of Grant Morrison's run on Batman. <laughs> What a son of a bitch! So then, let let me let me step in here really quick, Sean. <laughs> go we ahead. Really need, Marco's hot take. Let's go. We we I, I agree with you, Jimmy. Uh, I feel like we uh we're we we're on the same page here. Haha <laughs> puns. Um and <laughs> that Jesus um, Christ. I I also started with the uh Snyder and Capullo run and sort of worked my way backwards to like other. Batman stories and stuff like that. So I definitely see where you're coming from and that I don't get it. Like, yeah, it's good. It's not like amazing. Um I, I and 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 you can't see it right now, but Sean's face is He looks so disapproving. <laughs> I don't like what I'm hearing. Alright, so take it away. <laughs> he, sounds like a di- he he sounds and looks like a disappointed father right now. He's just like looking down and like, mm. I don't like what I'm seeing, son. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm dead right now and my asses are just being desecrated. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So Marco, you had your say. I appreciate you for chiming in, even though I vehemently <laughs> disagree with you uh, on every level. And uh, I will go on to tell you why as the sole fan of Grant Morrison's Oh my Batman. fucking god. So, <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, first of all, I've read this run uh, like a million times. Uh, and every single time, there's more that kind of is revealed through reading it. Uh, when it was coming out, I read each issue five or six times just because there was they were so dense that there was so much to unpack. You guys probably only read each issue one time, and so you probably missed out on a lot. I think that this book in particular warrants at least one reread, like the entire the entire run, because there's so many embedded uh, messages and symbols that you won't catch. For example, uh, there's there's um. The, the Zor NR, uh, trigger word that, that, that Batman, um, sees and then he kind of like loses his mind. That's all in the book. That's all throughout the book. But you don't realize it until it's in your face and you're supposed to notice because it's on the back computer. But prior to that, it's everywhere. And catching that and knowing that this was a plan all along enhanced my reading of the book. Uh, this is also a Batman book that cares about the totality of the character, not just the stuff that, like, for example, 
Uh, it's not just a dark and gritty Batman book. It, 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 it embraces every element of Batman's character that's ever existed. It goes into the zany and some of the stuff that, that happened, like Batman's adventures in space with Batmite. Um, some of the, the more cartoony stuff that Batman's been in, involved in. The, the idea of there being Batman clones. Like, there's so much meat to the story. Uh, and, and Morrison doesn't shy away from any of it which I really enjoyed as well. Uh, it also plays up the idea of Batman and his invulnerability. So a lot of people have problems with the idea of a bat god. I don't have a problem with the idea of a bat god, at least not Grant Morrison's interpretation. And seeing Batman face off against basically literally the devil in Dr. Hurt uh, is is fascinating. And seeing him on the edge of of being totally defeated and and rise up out of that is the ultimate superhero story. As cheesy and as ridiculous as it is, that's comics and that's superhero comics. And Grant Morrison finds a way to tell a compelling Batman story, a story that sums up Batman's entire career, a story that embraces Batman's entire career, a story that has something to say about superhero comics, and a story that is not on any levels... uh, um, sad or embarrassed to be a pure superhero comic and that's what i love about it twists and turns action-packed there's clear arcs batman and robin is one of the greatest like comic book runs ever uh there's 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 nothing wrong with it except that dc screwed it up by interfering that's the only problem with the run i'll have to check it out (laughs) (laughs) phil do you have anything to add no, he doesn't. He's never read it. <laughs> right. I'll have to check it out. It sounds really good. No, in all seriousness, Phil, do you have? Do you want to add to that? Um, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't interrupt because it was so eloquently put. But, um, yeah, the thing is that Batman has evolved so much over the last 75, 80 years that there's just so many different incarnations of the character that morrison decides to try to weave into a single narrative as if everything really did happen and there's an explanation for everything one thing he really took pride in and it really is featured prominently in the book is all the stuff that other authors were kind of ashamed of or forgotten and you mentioned batman's or or, or batmite these are really zany elements of the 1950s that people just don't talk about or really unturn but morrison put it on the forefront and put it <laughs> he, he put it in the reader's face to have to embrace um and that was really neat and when nightwing becomes batman and damien becomes robin morrison flips the dynamic of the usual batman and robin dichotomy of having a fun-loving batman instead of the more serious batman and a serious and gritty robin and that was like a real fun inversion of the expectation of most Batman and Robin comics have been like since 1940. And finally, Morrison talks about Batman being kind of a Christ figure, um, like a, a Bat Messiah, and that's the whole Bat God thing, where like the whole like that's this is a big Morrison thing in general is breaking a character down into his into like what his fundamental elements are that make him a character and. Batman and Superman are the most kind of um, the most you know 
strict archetypal characters in comics probably but batman's whole point is that he always he always survives and he always makes it through and he always triumphs and even though it's unrealistic in general to dodge a bullet when batman dodges a bullet you believe it because it's what batman does he always makes it through he always solves the case and he always wins and that case with dr hurt which is like allegorical of both grant and batman's father uh Batman overcomes the his ultimate obstacle to uh, see it through, which is why that whole story arc is so incredible. I think, absolutely, one one hundred percent. And uh, I encourage you, Jimmy, and I encourage you, Marco, to uh, go back and and read this run. I would also uh, really encourage you, uh, Phil. What's the what's the Batman book where Batman fights where? The villain is the devil, and it talks about Batman's childhood years. It's written, also written by Morrison. Oh, isn't that gothic or something? Gothic, yeah. I also encourage you to read gothic because that's Batman's first encounter with the devil. So there's like more kind of context there. Uh, it, that book was written years before um, Grant's like official run, but I always have viewed it as a companion piece. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Jimmy, hopefully that answers your question, and I encourage you to reread the run. And let us know what you think if you should do that. But we do have more reader mail. So, Pete, go ahead. Yep. All right. So our next one is from Kyle, who writes in and says, Why is Phil so handsome? How did he get to be so handsome? You should talk about Naruto. I love it. For all the pals, (laughs) what would your original superpower be? No generic flight, super strength, etc. Be creative. (laughs) Can I I quickly address Naruto? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Don't even... Do it, Marco. I know what he's going to say. Ugh. 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 Feigned Kyle, in the chat, Marco was like, oh, this is this is entry-level anime shit. And you were like, this shit is for casuals, like DBZ. <laughs> and then I was like, whoa, all right, dog. You know, sling shit at DBZ, all right? <laughs> well, so I don't even watch anime, and I'm fairly sure DBZ is for casuals. Oh, I mean, it is. Um, that's like the equivalent of saying I watch anime because I like Yu-Gi-Oh, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I agree with Marco's heavy sigh. Uh, yeah, I have I nothing know. to say about Naruto. I but hey, like Naruto either. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that you like it, Kyle. That's cool. Yeah, and, we're not uh, hating. I mean, Marco yeah. is, but... <laughs> I, I get the feeling Marco's watched it, though. Marco's been a huge troll today. Marco, have you watched? Yeah, I've watched it. Uh, I've watched it up until Shippuden, which is like um, where it's supposed to get better. But uh, so you stopped right where it gets good. Like suppose, yeah, suppose it's where like it gets better, and then and they recently came out with Boruto, and but I don't, I'm not interested in it. What, what is Kyle, the deal with that? Is, sell them on it. Is Boruto? Yeah, write in again, Kyle, and sell us on on Naruto. But uh, is, uh, is at least Shippuden is Boruto like Naruto's it's like his, kid? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, so to address the question of why Phil is so handsome, uh, I never noticed. And how That's a did lie. He, <laughs> how did he get to be so handsome? Uh, he was not kissed by sure. an angel uh, upon birth. Uh, my answer is, I. Why is he so? It's got. He's got that that uh, like Irish Catholic charm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was the guilt. I was like, wait, what? I know. I thought so too, Marco. It comes from the guilt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You got to get something back for all that penance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so to answer the question of what would our original superpower be, that's interesting. I feel like most superpowers have been um, 
utilize it some in some form or fashion? I'll have to think about it. I want to be able to uh, perceive and understand the fourth dimension. Okay. That assumes there is a fourth dimension. There is a fourth dimension. All right. So for me, um, I think I've said this. I don't know if I've ever, ever said this on this show before, but I know I've said it on a podcast in the past. But for me, I would want to have the ability to uh, exist outside of time. I was literally just about to say that. That's so the fourth funny. dimension. can exist out of time. <laughs> wow. Well, it's How? fine. We can, we can build on it together then. So I mean, my thing is like I would want to be able to freeze time, but I don't move forward in time when it's frozen. So like you're like Goldo, yeah, kind of. You have um, to hold your breath. No, because that would ruin it. Because like the the benefit, like the practical benefit I want of it is to be able to be like, okay, freeze time. I'm gonna go sleep for twelve hours, wake up, and like no time has passed. You know, so I could be awake for twenty four hours in the day, or I could freeze time and you know like spend a few hours like you know playing guitar or whatever like honing a skill but i could do it without actually spending any real life time so i could become like an expert in anything basically or you know never ever not be rested and never have to miss an event ever again and plus there's like obviously plenty of like super applications to that too like it'd be really easy to fight crime or like become a bank robber which is what i would probably do wow that would actually be really cool because i'm thinking about it and it's like oh i have this event i'm, I'm invited to or whatever and i don't feel like going because i need to veg for a while you just stop time take all the time you need to veg and then go you could literally veg like eat take a nap take a shower wake up and then you're ready to go you're on time uh so i i really like that answer but i won't give it i'll, I'll give something else for the sake of you know not doubling up uh i so if you guys have ever heard of like the butterfly effect you know like it's this the concept that there are there are all these kind of like you know branching paths that you know you know all that kind of stuff uh so i wish i had the ability to perceive all the different potential realities that i'm passing Batman. up on when mm. i don't choose a certain thing or when i make a choice what doors are closing to me you want to be batman uh yes. So wait, you'd only be aware of them though. You wouldn't be able to like. Correct. Oh, that would suck. I would hate that. Yeah, it's it's absolutely horrible. That would be a curse. Like that's not yeah. even a good power. That's just literally no, like horrible. every time. It you... could be a good power. Not. I mean, like, <laughs> like sometimes, but like every time you did something wrong, you would literally just be like, it'd be Captain Hindsight, be like, oh man, in retrospect, <laughs> I could have done all these things. But right. you know what's name? Captain Hindsight. That's that's actually really <laughs> applicable. Uh, but but you know what? I, I kind of like it because it'll teach me a valuable lesson about mistakes. Because it'll show me how all these mistakes that I have made could have led to amazing things. So I should probably stop screwing up. Damn, that's interesting. My superpower is I would be one of two. One, I would be able to tell the difference between butter and I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I already have that power. <laughs> Whoa, Pete. Nice. I didn't know I was a superhero. And the other one is I would have the ability to breathe underwater as long as I'm not wet. I hate you. <laughs> That's what? worthless. What the hell? <laughs> That's like not possible. <laughs> but if I'm in a scuba suit, I'm good. But you couldn't breathe without touching the water. How could you breathe? I could water? breathe underwater as long as I'm not wet. All right. <laughs> that's some nice. goofy, that's some goofy silver age shit. 
I yeah. like it, man. You know what that reminds me of? <laughs> that reminds me of the movie Mystery Men. Yeah. <laughs> where they all have, like, non-powers or just really dumb things that would not be helpful. I just... <laughs> I'd have the ability to count all the beans in a jar. <laughs> See, that's actually pretty useful. Like, you could win a lot of, uh, you know, tchotchke crap. A lot of beans. <laughs> yeah. But you don't even need a super... Pa- whatever. Anyway. Uh, so, thank you guys for writing in. We really appreciate it. And again, if you guys... Uh, that are listening want to write in with your questions or comments you can do so by writing to us at the comicspals at gmail.com uh so we're gonna jump into the pals pulls for the week uh use the hashtag pals pulls to let us know what you guys are pulling from your local comic book shop uh these are the books that we the pals are looking forward to for this upcoming week so listen closely for the books that we are going to be reading. Uh, so for this one's from me, Dark Days, the casting number one. Uh, so this is all roads lead to metal for DC. And the casting is the next book in that March. Um, we got The Forge uh, a couple weeks ago. That was really good. Uh, so I'm excited to see where they're taking it. Uh, Scooby-Doo Apocalypse number 15 that's coming from Marco do you want to say a couple words Marco about it Uh, like all the rest of the Hanna-Barbera stuff it's it's like interesting and uh, it's unexpectedly good cool I really gotta give that book a read I like it it's a survival horror kind of thing you also chose does the art who we interviewed yeah we actually have that coming out this week awesome so keep your eyes peeled you also chose, how, how is this said? Is it Calexit or Calexit? Yeah, Calexit. Cool, Calexit. Is, 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 is that a book about California? Yeah, that's the... Splitting uh, from the Union? Yeah, have you not heard about it? No, I mean, it's just like, that's what, like, that was like, that's like a thing in real life. Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, a, it's a, and black, it's a Black Mask book. And, you know, Black Mask is, uh, has been, I guess, surprising with some really killer stuff. So, I was like, you know, let me give this a try. I gave, uh galaxy writers a try so i'm like hey this stuff is pretty cool yeah they've been like popping up on our radar more and more black mask mm-hmm. yeah uh so i also chose spider-man or spider-men 2 number one uh the the original spider-men was really cool this one's gonna address the fact that even though we now have miles in the mcu or the mcu um the uh, regular 616 comic I think it's called world. Marvel Prime now. Right? Marvel Prime, yeah, whatever. whatever. So many different. It'll always you know. be 616 in my heart. <sighs> Me too. Uh, so even though we got Miles from the Ultimate Universe into the Prime Universe, there was already a Miles in existence. So we're going to find out who he is, and this is going to be Peter and Miles' journey to find this other Miles. Oh, wow. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool, so, I guess. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see what that looks like. And then uh, the last one is Vision Director's Cut number two. So Marvel's been releasing Director's Cut issues of Vision. Each issue does have two of the original Vision issues in it with extra content. So sketches, script wow. pieces, different stuff like that. Uh, and I've been picking it up because, you know, we we all love Tom King. And I just kind of mm. want more insight into the process of the creation of the book. That's, That's cool. cool. Very cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, you can use the hashtag PalsPulls to share your polls with us. We like pictures, so you can share those with us as well over on Instagram. Let us know what you guys are reading this week. 
Yeah, we'd love to like have some way to share that. Like if you send us a picture, maybe we can share them on our Instagram, you know, yeah. or something like that. So yeah, send us your polls and you know, we'll talk about them on the show or something. Yeah. If they're good. Yeah, if they're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you're reading like I don't know. I don't know, what's a bad comic I, I couldn't even think of a comic to shit on. Like, I, I, my immediate thing was, like, Black Panther and the crew, and I was like, oh, wait, it got canceled. America. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like how both the books that you guys chose immediately are minority-led books. It's not our fault! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's meaningless. It's just funny to me. Whatever. I don't know. To be fair, Marco is the one who said America, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He hated it for being pandering, so well, I feel like we're good on that one. So we're gonna. I've said gonna... nothing. <laughs> of course, Phil, because you are the positive one on the show, like me, who also said nothing. There you go, proving the there point. Proving the point. <laughs> Phil doesn't even read comic books. So read Especially Morrison's Batman. Morrison we're the positive ones. Read that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into the news, and unfortunately, we have something really not fun to start with uh, because Joan Lee, uh, the wife of Stanley, has died uh, at ninety five years old. Um, so I mean, the the, the only kind of saving grace is that she did live a a very long life, uh, and this is a quote from a spokesperson for Stanley. Uh, that that was released to the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, I can confirm the sad news that Joan Lee passed away this morning quietly and surrounded by her family. The family asks that you please give them time to grieve and respect their privacy during this difficult time. Uh, she suffered a stroke earlier in the week and she was hospitalized. And um, unfortunately, uh, that ended up being the deciding factor in taking her life. So... Uh, our best wishes go out to Stan and the rest of his family because obviously this is really terrible. Uh, they they do have a child, and you know I'm sure they're all hurting right now. So yeah, our, our thoughts are with them. Excelsior to that family. Absolutely. Um, and and you know, it, it's they they had a really sort of lovely relationship by all accounts. Uh, they've been together. They were together for something like sixty-three years. It's a long time. Yeah, of an extremely long time, uh, and that's you know that's beautiful, right? Like most of us could only dream of having a relationship that could last that long and you know withstand the test of time. So, um, and and it's and yeah, in a lot of ways, it sounds like she was his rock. Uh, if you guys will uh, allow me, I do want to share a story with you guys. Um, that that Stanley has shared in the past. Uh, this is this is the following is a quote from him. When I was young, there was one girl I drew, one body and face and hair. It was my idea of what a girl should be, the perfect woman. And when I got out of the army, somebody, a cousin of mine, knew a model, a hat model at a place called Laden Hats. He said, Stan, there's this really pretty girl named Betty. I think you'd like her. She might like you. Why don't you go over and ask her to lunch? So I went up to this place. Betty didn't answer the door, but Joan answered, and she was the head model. I took one look at her, and she was the girl I had been drawing all my life. And then I heard the English accent, and I'm a nut for English accents. She said, may I help you? And I took a look at her, and I think I said something crazy like, I love you. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, I took her to lunch. I never met Betty, the other girl. I think I proposed to Joan at lunch. 
So, you know, that's kind of how their relationship started. And clearly, um, you know, they were going strong ever since. So, uh, really unfortunate. Uh, DC and Marvel both did release um, uh, statements about the passing of Joan. Uh, Marvel said the following. uh, Our thoughts and prayers go out to her husband and daughter. We are so saddened to hear about the loss of Joan Lee. We lost a member of the Marvel family today, and our thoughts and prayers go out to Stan and his daughter Joan in this difficult time. Uh, and DC, DC's uh, president had the following to say, Diane Nelson, uh, of all the great stories Stanley has to tell, the most touching is of the day he met Joan, the British model who would become his future wife. Instantly smitten, Stan proposed the first day of their meeting, beginning, beginning a beautiful, enviable life together for nearly seven decades. Everyone at DC is truly saddened to hear of the passing of Joan Lee, and our hearts go out to Stan and his family in this time of loss. And of course, the story she's referencing is the one I just told. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but like you said, I mean, like, it's hard to hope for more than that, right? A long life, uh, happy marriage, and a, a good family. So, you know, our, our, our thoughts and prayers are definitely with them today. But, uh, you know, I think it seems like she had a good run, so. Sure, Absolutely. Um, we can only we can only be so lucky. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's a that's a great place to end that. Um, so we've got some good news. Other than that, uh, and this one is particularly interesting for any fan of Gerard Way's Umbrella Academy because reportedly uh, that series is going to be um, adapted into a Netflix series. So, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, The Umbrella Academy is a uh, comic book series by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba that is critically acclaimed. It's it's very beloved. Uh, it debuted in, in 2007, and it, it came from Dark Horse, and there were a bunch of different opportunities to make it into a film. Universal had the rights at some point. Um and, and there were different things going on, especially in 2015. There was a lot of, of rumbling about a, a potential film. Uh, but according to Splash Report, Netflix now has the rights and Gerard Way is going to be involved on some level. Uh, and uh, CBR is reporting that an announcement could be made as soon as um, uh, Comic-Con International. So we could be hearing about this really, really soon. Yeah, I know that. I, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's like, that's the series that like brought him to to fame, and uh, I've only heard really good things about it. So, um, I mean, same here. Yeah, I'm excited to pick it up, and then if the show look, like the show's good, that's pretty cool because it's gonna be the first, I guess, the first show that isn't a DC or Marvel property or series in general. I don't, I don't know. Uh, aside from Walking Dead. Well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, Walking Dead and, and Preacher, and yeah, there's plenty of. There are not yeah. a lot, is Marco's point, at and, the very and that's least. absolutely correct. And I think, I think, so I read Umbrella Academy, oh. and uh, it's a it's a very very good book. It's very quirky. It's, yeah, it's very very different. Kale is a big fan. He I believe actually, he is. I wanted to say he he posted on our Twitter. He posted a news uh, like a link to this news and said, "I think I'd rather have more comics anyone else." So I think he's probably a little upset about this because i know that the like the second volume of umbrella academy like has never come out yet right mm-hmm. yeah that there's actually quite a bit of on uh umbrella academy material there's the um there's uh the umbrella academy apocalypse 
which is like a another story in the in the franchise, and then Dallas. So there's there's three three arcs or three volumes to it that did come out. Um, but did, I guess the isn't there supposed to be a sequel to the original volume or something? There, that- yeah, there there was supposed to be a continuation. I think a show could spur that on uh, because there is there is still interest, and I think that Umbrella Academy and the the style of it is something that will really hit with viewers today. It could be a huge hit. It could be a huge splash, I think. Isn't Gerard Way like exclusive to DC now? Yeah, yeah, and he's heading up the young animal imprint. Right, yeah. There was there were there were talks actually, that's so yeah, there were talks when Young Animal launched that Umbrella Academy actually could move over from Dark Horse to Young Animal uh, because the right there's a rights issue. Like it's not it's not exactly clear who does own the rights. So Gerard Way could move it over. I'm sure I'm sure that's why we haven't seen more of it in so long. You know, like I, I, he hasn't done anything. Like you said, there's those two other series, but those are both from before he was with DC, right? So, yeah, I, I, mean, I would be inclined to think that that's probably why we haven't seen the follow up is that there's some sort of rights issue. And maybe he's just like waiting out the clock until whatever controlling stake Dark Horse has in it is gone because it's been um, what, 10 years? You said it came out in 2007? So, yeah, yeah. So, like, maybe maybe he's just kind of, like, biding his time until he can take it and move it over to DC and Young Animal. It's possible. Or he's uh, just and- preoccupied with other shit because, like, he went from having one big book and then it won an – well, one book, it won an Eisner. All of a sudden, he's, like, this hot comics property and DC's asking him to lead his own imprint. Like, yeah. you don't say no to that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Not to mention that Gerard Way is a very successful musician with My Chemical Romance. Like he's got, I mean, My Chemical Romance is over now, but he's had his his hands in so many different things that yeah. you know, comics was a thing that he loved that he tried out and it worked beautifully. But he also had other things going on. The Black Parade came out around that same time, right? Within a few years, so his career spiked at the same time. Yeah, man. So, I mean, he said that like his plan was always kind of to try to like move over to comics eventually because he was kind of like done with music or at least like wanted to take a break from it and like i i just don't think he expected the first comic that he ever put out to win an eisner you know like his career like probably took off way quicker than he ever expected you know and then all of a sudden it's like oh this is my full-time job now and i'm running a fucking publishing arm like i read an interview with him like a few months after that had started up and he said it's like it's just so much more work than he ever expected, you know? So it's like, who knows, man? Like, he might be trying to get the second volume of Umbrella Academy out, and he's just fucking busy, you know? Important to note that he is a disciple of Grant Morrison. Not a remote surprise. Not a remote surprise. Uh, so, well, I guess this is actually kind of a positive. I don't know. Image and Howard Shaken have apologized for the Divided States of Hysteria number four cover and have pulled it so that will not actually be releasing. Uh, Last week, we very briefly touched on it. I didn't really want to talk about it because this book is getting so much press and I'm not one to shy away from anything. But look, you either like this kind of thing or you don't. I I don't think, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, Uh, it's like not worth talking about controversy for controversy's sake. Right. Um, Marco and I are here for that. (laughs) Where's the controversy? (laughs) But I I felt it was important to acknowledge the fact that they have responded 
and that they have agreed to pull the cover. Uh, Image did release a statement that I, I really want to get your, your guys' feedback on. So the following is their statement. It's neither Howard's nor Image's intention to inflict pain on anyone already dealing with intolerance or hostility on a personal level. We all agree that any form of bigotry is wrong, and this comic exists due to anger and frustration over rapidly escalating injustice in a world filled with people too quick to judge others on the basis of their race, religion, or gender association. The purpose of this series is to sound alarms. The Divided States of Hysteria is a comic book about the terrifying future we are heading for if our country remains on its current path. Far from an endorsement of the horrible violence depicted or the ugly language used by many of the characters, Howard's goal is to give us a glimpse into a society crumbling under the weight of ignorance, hatred, and intolerance. It's unsettling to be sure, but it's difficult to convey the horrors of a world gone wrong without also showing what it looks like. Uh, the statement does go on, but you guys get the point. Uh, they, they basically go on to say that they're not looking to do anyone harm, and while they stand by the book, they recognize that if you don't read it without context, these covers and stuff can be abrasive and so they'll pull back what do you guys damage control yeah i'm honestly disappointed by this move we praised them two weeks ago for standing by the book Mm -hmm. and um i i still have that sentiment you know like i again like to reiterate the point i made two weeks ago in case you didn't listen um i i understand why uh this imagery or the imagery that was in the first issue are um offensive to some people or like triggering to some people or whatever, like whatever word you want to use. I get it. I get that side of the argument, but I am always, always, always on the side of censorship is bad. Like art is art. And, you know, being able to express your, you know, your truth or your opinion or whatever is like what this country is based on. Like, I believe in the marketplace of ideas that like, you can't just protect free speech that you like, you know? And if this is offensive to you, speak with your wallet and don't buy it, you know? And I I don't think that image should be in the business of apologizing for putting out a book, you know? Like, I don't, I, I don't think that you know, it, it would be a different story. Like we talked about this two weeks ago. It would be a different story if Chaikin was out there promoting hate speech. But that's not what this book is doing. Like it's trying to create a, a conversation and a dialogue and it's doing it in a way that makes people uncomfortable. And that's fine. You know, like that's his right as an artist. And I think, again, like if, if that isn't the way that you want this message told to you, then you shouldn't engage with it. That's okay. Like it's okay for you to be offended. It's okay for it to make you uncomfortable. Uh, or for you to feel as though it, um, you know, it is wrong, but I don't think that that means it shouldn't exist or that it should be apologized for. And I'm consistent in my opinion of fuck this book and fuck this author. <laughs> Kale would agree. I mean, I'm a, I'm not a fan of his either. I'm just defending the art, you know, free speech. Yeah. yeah. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying fuck him and fuck fuck him. <laughs> fuck him and fuck him. Okay. Uh. I think that Image did the right thing because I'm, I'm again, very much on the side of, of free speech and um, I don't think art should be censored. Um, I understand that, there's a, that there are a lot of people who are very, like, you know, they're sensitive to this kind of thing. And when you go to the comic book shop, when you go to the comic book shop and... You see that cover, 
without any context, right? That it's it's sh- really shocking. And when I go to Midtown Comics, they put the the comic books with this like there are some comics that get published that have like really scantily clad women or nudity on the inside. They put those to the side. Uh, they cover them up. You know, th- a lot of those books come with like wrapping, so you can't see the nude cover. But a book, I, it's always a sex versus violence thing, right? This is a horribly violent image that for some reason is totally fine for people to consume, but nudity or, or women that are scantily clad, that's got to be put aside. That's not okay. So, Isn't I, the man's I, penis showing too? Yeah, it's mutilated. It yeah, it's, it's mutilated. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, one is, if one is a problem, I think the other is a problem too. Uh, and so, again, without context, I totally get the reaction. Um so I don't think there's a problem with going with a, a, a tamer cover as long as the content in the book isn't changing and it doesn't seem like it, it is. Image's point is very clear. We stand by this book. We stand by the content, but we understand that people were offended and without the context of knowing what's going on in the book, we totally get what, what you guys might think this is and we'll react in kind. That's a good point. I actually hadn't thought about that um, that point of view of like, if you're just walking in the shop and you just see out of context this image of, you know, uh, I, he's pretty clearly Arabic, right? Yeah, yeah, he's Pakistani. Yeah, um, yeah like a, a Pakistani guy hung and mutilated. Like, yeah, I, I, that's a good point. Like, I hadn't thought about the fact that seeing that out of context alongside other books with images logo on it is something that maybe they want to, you know, uh, backpedal on a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and again, you know, the the book being whatever quality it is, I haven't picked it up. I stand by the book's existence for sure. Hold yeah, on. yeah, to me the quality of it is actually pretty irrelevant to the fact that like people seem to have a problem with what it's doing, not that it's good or bad at it. Right. So, DC is releasing a very interesting new uh Batman miniseries. Uh, it is titled Batman White Knight, and in it, the Joker goes sane and decides to become a politician to take down Batman. Uh, now, the most interesting thing about this book, maybe, is its creator, because White Knight is created, written, and drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy, an extremely talented artist. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, he did things like Tokyo Ghost with uh, Rick Remender recently. Uh, he is one of the greatest talents in comics right now, and uh, this is this is kind of his big coming out party as a writer. Um, so I do want to just give you guys the the breakdown uh, here from from Murphy's mouth in DC's press release. We know Joker's a genius, we know he's relentless, and we know he can play the crowd, so why not make him a politician? Why not strip away the psychosis, the thing that's holding him back, and let him challenge Batman unimpeded? And to make it even scarier, what if he did it legally and without breaking any rules so that Batman couldn't stop him? Seeing Gotham for the first time with clear eyes, his psychosis now cured, he starts to understand the absurdity and vigilant- of vigilantism and how Batman's actions are only contributing to Gotham's endless crime cycle. Joker sets out to beat Batman by becoming the white knight that Gotham really needs. This is the kind of book that like I'd be interested in because it's not like a superhero-y 
take necessarily. So in the spirit of Phil, even though he's here, uh, could be good. But also, like it sounds uh, genuinely interesting. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's a really cool premise. I feel like it's one of those things that it really is a kind of a it's a toss up over whether that's going to be good or not. Because I could see that being really interesting and compelling, or I could see it feeling like a kind of a weird, silly gimmick. But the talent behind it is really good. So let's give it a shot, you know? Like, I definitely, I'm interested. I don't know. The the Joker going sane thing has been done to death. Joker in general is a character that's been beaten in the ground. And, like, I don't know. Like, I, the way I picture a picture of this is, like, what if the Joker was sane and tried to beat Batman legally? Like, that kind of thing has been done. And I don't know. The, the premise doesn't do anything for me. So, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from, Phil. I tend to be like you in that gimmicks like this don't do much for me. Uh, I'm extremely intrigued by Sean Murphy drawing Batman. Uh, he's just so talented that, you know, I really want to see whatever he does. Um, he doesn't do a ton of um, mainstream comic work in the sense that, like, a lot of his stuff is image or vertigo, stuff like that. So <clears throat> for him to be working on a Batman property is really cool. He has written stuff before. Um, Punk Rock Jesus, that was his deal. Oh, uh, oh I read so, that. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not like he has no writing chops. Uh, and I'd pay the two ninety nine for the art alone. So I'm I'm down, you know I'm gonna give it a try, uh, and it's so it's uh, Batman White Knight number one, and it's gonna come out October fourth. So check it out if you're interested. So uh, we're all we're all still buzzing after the Spider Man film, uh, and there's been a lot of chatter about this film on the internet, especially coming from uh, Kevin Feige. <laughs> Kevin Feige and Pete have had the most to say. About Spider-Man Homecoming. We were both um, really into it. <laughs> you guys that tune into this show are going to get to hear Pete's full thoughts a little later on. But we should get Kevin Feige's thoughts first because he is the head of the MCU. Uh, Probably so the talks... second most important uh, Spider-Man fan on the internet. Next to you. Oh, yeah. yeah, other than you. Uh, that's why you're the main event. Uh, so Feige, <sighs> <laughs> Feige laid out the five film plan for Spider-Man's tenure in the MCU. Uh, Previously, Tom Holland did say that uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was the first in a trilogy of films, Um, but Kevin Feige now has kind of changed that narrative a little bit and appears to be talking more along the lines of only five films that include the films we've already seen him in. Uh, So here's, here's the quote from Kevin Feige. We are looking at it We are looking at a five-movie storyline. Civil War, Homecoming, Avengers Infinity War, Untitled Avengers, and Homecoming 2. Or whatever we end up calling it as an amazing five-story journey for Peter Parker. And uh, these are things he told the Toronto Sun. uh, In the way that the events of... And then the quote gets messed up. That's gotta be be Civil War, right? Like the way that Civil War directly informs Homecoming? Probably, yeah. 
in the in the way that the events of Civil War directly inform the opening of Homecoming and his state of mind as he goes back to high school, so too will the events of the next two Avengers movies as he continues with high school. This original 22 movie arc ends with the untitled Avengers in May of 2019, and then two months later it will be Peter and Spider-Man on July 5th, 2019 that usher us into the aftermath and how things proceed from there. So, this is interesting just because... Like, this whole thing is just such a mess because, like, we don't know what the future holds. It's like, okay, so we have this five-movie story arc planned, right? So does that mean that they're going to – because they said – like, the way he's talking about it is, oh, the, these two Avengers movies will inform where Peter is in Spider-Man 2. Great. But what does that mean? Like, where does Spider-Man 2 end? Does Spider-Man 2 end and set up another arc for Peter? Or is that going to be based on, like, where the deals with Sony lie? Are they going to try to kill him off or something? Like, so Yeah, it makes it sound kind of final. So the reason that it sounds final is because the deal that they have with Sony is a five-pick deal. It's, it's only up until the second Spider-Man movie. But yes. they said that's when they have the opportunity to renew it and keep right. going or whatever. And so Sony obviously has what they what they feel is a good thing going with the Venom film, Silver and Black, and everything else that they're producing. If those things do gangbusters, it makes total sense for them to take Spidey back and then start making their own Spider-Man films and use him as the centerpiece of this new universe that they've created. If those films don't do well, then it makes sense for them to re-up and keep making that MCU money without having to do much at all. But if they don't re-up, I think Kevin Feige's mentality is let's tell a great five-movie story that allows us to use Spider-Man as a linchpin for these five films, make all the money that we can, and then if we have to give them up, at least we had a really good run. Yeah. Which, I, that's fine. I just really hope, I hope that we don't have to go through another batch of Spider-Man movies. Like, I really don't want to see these movies be good and, like, I want more, but we can't because Sony's being greedy and tries to take him back and either tries to shoehorn Tom Holland into the movies that they're already doing or give us another new Spider-Man or whatever. Like, I... I really feel like this movie was already hurt from the fact that it was the third Spider-Man or the second Spider-Man reboot. Um, and I think another one is really not going to do well. So I I don't think that – I think Sony's making a really huge mistake. I think like it would be – they'd be way better suited to just let Marvel keep making the movies and just take the money. I kind of I wanted to go back to Sony. <laughs> that's like that's so fucking ludicrous like i don't even want to entertain that honestly <laughs> we have to though Phil, why, do you, why do you feel that way i don't know uh we'll, we'll go it we'll get into it when we do the larger spider-man discussion but uh the movie in general felt super convoluted by being involved in the mcu which i think really hurt it oh, so ridiculous. i'd rather i'd rather see it back on its own the franchise Okay. That's okay. that's such a let's just like ridiculous. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> uh, I I don't think it would be terribly unwise of Sony to take the rights back if the films that they intend on making do do really well because um that could be what what 
sort of solidifies them as major players in the superhero movie game, which right now they're really not. Um, it makes a lot of sense for them to try to get Spider-Man back. 100%. Now, that doesn't mean it's the right choice because they, unless they learn lessons from this film uh, and how Marvel has treated the character, even if you think the film was convoluted, I think we can probably all agree that it treats Spider-Man well. And with that in mind, if Sony does learn those lessons, uh, they can translate that into something that could work really well under their banner and allowing Spider-Man to play with these other characters who Marvel might not be able to even use. So it, it, it is smart on their part if they get Venom and Silver and Black right. I honestly don't agree. Like, I think I, I don't think that people are going to want to see another Spider-Man reboot. I just don't. No, no, no. I'm not implying reboot. I'm implying Tom take, this, goes to yeah, Sony. take this same version of Spider-Man and move him to something. Mm, yeah, I don't know, though, dude. I, I Probably a bad choice on, on Holland's part, I think, to keep it going, especially when they... Because you're going to bring in a whole new creative team. You're going to bring in a whole new company. You're going to bring in... I, I don't think that they would... Or it's in Tom Holland's best interest to continue the series as is, and I don't think that Sony is going to actually continue the same kind of story or the same kind of feel because they are going to be. The, the, I'm thinking they're probably try to distance it and do their own thing from the MCU. I don't think so. I don't think they would. If they For did do case. it, if they did it that way, then I would agree that it's the wrong move because I think that a reboot would be very damaging. And I think that people, you know, based on the reaction so far, seem to have fallen in love with what Marvel uh, did with the, with Spider-Man ever since Civil War. And they're going to want to see that same kind of uh, character, no matter when, no matter who owns the rights, right? And so I think so. if Sony does take the rights back, they need to continue down this same path, even without the Avengers uh, correlation, just do Spider-Man in the Sony world, but the way that Marvel did it. I was, I just don't think that is going to make sense. Like, I, I really think that like is giving audiences more like either too much credit or not enough credit that like, I, I don't think that I don't think that if we have Spider-Man, if there's this, this clear five film arc for Peter Parker in the MCU, how does it make any sense that all of a sudden the same Peter Parker is not in this world anymore? And he's, oh, he's in this New York that's tangentially connected to the MCU, but all of a sudden, you know, yeah, he's been super tight with Iron Man for five years, you know, five years worth of movies and in the Avengers and all this shit. And then all of a sudden he's totally isolated from everyone and none of those things matter. I don't think audiences. I think the only thing audiences would really pick up on is the whole. Oh, it's Tom Holland. It's Spider Man, and he's facing his rogues. Yeah, also, I, I disagree. Like we also don't even know how Homecoming Two ends or whatever it's going to be called. So it could easily end in a scenario where maybe he's not into the Avengers anymore because of the events of uh, Untitled Avengers. Maybe something happens that he disconnects himself from them. There's yeah. There's so many things that they could do that it's impossible to say that it wouldn't make sense because we're just not there yet. No, but I yeah. just I don't I don't trust them to tie it up in a way that makes sense. And and I just like I don't think that uh, yeah like sure maybe Avengers two ends with him not being in the Avengers anymore. Fine, but 
does that make sense that all of a sudden he'll be in New York City and he'll never, ever run into any of these New York-based superheroes ever again? Like, it doesn't. I don't know. Daredevil doesn't He didn't run into Daredevil, yeah. You know, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't bother us when we talk about Netflix, so I don't see why yeah. it's a problem with Spider-Man. Exactly. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it does, though, because we, we bring it up every time. But, like... No, I've never had a problem with it at all. I've never I had a problem care. with it either. It doesn't bother me, but people bring it up all the time. And it is, like, it's a little different when you're talking about, like, yeah, sure, Iron Man and Captain America are going to go help Daredevil fight the hand. Sure, okay, but why doesn't Daredevil help them fight Ultron, you know? Like, I don't know. It's it's not it's not a problem. Like, I, I just don't understand because we deal with this in comics. So if it happens exactly. in comics, why can't it happen on film? It's the same discussion. Sean and I are always on the same side of this thing where it's like, yeah, this is what, how comics works. And I think Pete and Kale are always like, doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, okay, so I think I think that's a that's a good place to wrap that conversation um and we'll dive into more spider-man stuff regarding homecoming when we do the review uh, but i do want to talk about uh the villains of the spider-man world because uh according to kevin feige uh during that same interview with the toronto sun he said that they want to use a new villain for the next spider-man film uh, and so the following is a quote from Feige. We are excited to use characters that you haven't seen before on screen. So that narrows it down a little bit in terms of who will pop up next. Spider-Man has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to villains, and there are a lot that haven't been touched upon. It's those that we will be looking at first. Boy, so, I don't know. Mysterio? Craven? Well, he said someone newer. He's, he, when he said new, he meant people that haven't been on screen yet. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, like, they also set up Scorpion for the next movie, so yeah. I'm sure we're going to see Matt Gargan. Um, but, I mean, like, this movie had multiple villains, and I thought were used in a really, really, like, tasteful way, which, again, we'll talk about more later. But I could see them having, like, a big bad, like, someone like that, like Craven or Mysterio or whatever, and then have some of the, like, lower-tier guys like Scorpion hanging around in the background. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I think that there are a lot of really great Spider-Man villains that have been untouched. Um, Mysterio is an obvious one. Craven is another obvious one. Um, but also Mister Negative. I think Mister Negative is due. That was where my mind went when he said like yeah. newer villain. I was like, oh, Mister Negative. Yeah, I would love to see Mister Negative. I think uh, him having his sort of coming out party towards mainstream audiences with the video game, the Spider-Man uh, video game. Yeah, on PS4. Um, people will be vi- very familiar with him at that point if they play it. Um, and so I think he could be a great option. Uh, Hydro Man is another one that comes to mind for me. Um, there, there are plenty of roads they could go down. And, they, did, uh, they have touched on a lot of the big ballers at this point, but there's still like a few that haven't really been touched on. Kramer yeah. and Mysterio feel like the big two that haven't been touched in my mind. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think those are the two big villains that haven't even, you know, that we haven't seen anything of. Everyone else is, you know, kind of gotten at least some level of screen time, even if it wasn't good. Kingpin, technically. I mean, I know he's in Daredevil, but he hasn't been using uh, Spider-Man media. I would I would be so into that. They're not going to do that, but... It's I, totally not a fit for this new Spider-Man. Nah, agreed, but I do... I disagree I, with that, but... I, I do want to... Uh, save that conversation for the end of our Spider-Man review because I want to speculate with you guys about what could be coming. Uh, And so this makes now as good a time as any to dive into that review. 
So we're going to start with our spoiler-free review of Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. And then we'll jump into the spoiler portion of it. So if you if you haven't seen the movie and you just want to get our impressions, uh, you can stay tuned and we'll tell you when to make the jump so that you don't get anything uh, major spoiled for you. So uh, I'll give Pete the floor since he is the Spider-Man super fan uh, on the show. So Pete, uh, actually, actually... It's time for Marco's moment. Oh, that's what we're doing? All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. sorry, Pete. Sorry. Marco pulled the card. His shirt's on. His 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 face is on the shirt. His shirt's on the <laughs> name. Uh, his, his face is on the shirt, so I got to You're going to make me start arguing with people already, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Marco. What are you do, Pete? Huh? 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 You haven't even said anything. <laughs> um, we're off to a glorious start. Uh, so... First, um, I want to start by saying that I really, really love this film. Whoa! Yeah. Really? Yeah, genuinely. Oh, I, Marco, yay! I was, I was, uh, I was, I, I was kind of impressed. I was, uh, with the majority of it. Actually, almost all of it. Um, and we'll get into like my one like and it's a tiny issue and um but yeah i i I really enjoyed it it was a fun ride i felt like it captured a young peter like the ones from uh like a the the stan lee sort of dorky but lovable and um yeah so uh I'm i'm on your side pete Fuck yeah! All right, Marco, surprising me here. Um, Goddamn. Cool. All right, great. That, that put me in a good mood. So, uh, I mean, I agree with Marco. I think like this is very much. Um, I mean this in a good way, but to the thing that Phil always says, this is very much my Spider-Man. You know, like this is the Peter that I wanted to see. It's very much influenced by Bendis's Ultimate Run with a lot of the OG Stan Lee stuff peppered in there, um, which is, like, exactly what I want. You know, I think it, it feels new, but it also feels familiar in all the right ways. I think they took a lot of creative liberties with the supporting cast and with Peter and with mixing things from Miles' background and, and everything, but I think it all felt it fit into a package that felt very appropriate i think for what i want out of a spider-man movie you know my social media review of it was this is the spider-man movie i've always wanted you know i i love the original two sam raimi spider-man movies but i think they're very much a product of their time and i think they're great movies but i don't think they really capture spider-man very well or like peter as a character of like how he is generally portrayed and i think um this nails it for me you know like this is uh, a young Peter Parker who's unsure of himself. He makes mistakes, um, sometimes big, sometimes small. And, you know, he's just kind of a normal, to borrow a line from Iron Man, like a working class Bruce Springsteen kind of superhero, you know? And, like, I think this really got that that well. And I think the film does a really good job of balancing Peter with Spider-Man, that, like, there's almost just as much Peter Parker stuff going on as there is Spider-Man stuff. And I think... Where it stands out from the rest of the MCU movies in that regard is, I think, like, Peter has a life. You know, it's not like, you know, like, you watch the Iron Man movies and 
how much of like is it is is really Tony Stark dealing with Tony Stark problems more so than him doing Iron Man stuff? You know, and I think the the supporting cast feels pretty fleshed out for the most part, and characters that didn't really need to be that fleshed out were a little bit more so than I thought they needed to. And um, in terms of like other just big strengths I want to talk about, I think the visual aesthetic was really good. Uh, I like the way that they nailed how Spider-Man moves and how he deals with problems. And I think the Vulture is like the best MCU villain we've gotten probably since Loki. Um, Netflix stuff notwithstanding. I I feel like people usually kind of put those in their own, you know, silo. Um, So just in terms of the movies, I think this is definitely the best take we've had in a while for a villain. And I'm not really that into the Vulture. I think the Vulture is probably one of the weaker names in Spider-Man's like more popular rogues gallery. And I really like this interpretation of him, and I thought that Michael Keaton did a great job. Cool. Uh, Phil, let's get your counterpoint. It was fine. It was it was like a run-of-the-mill Marvel movie, I thought. Scoff. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I thought it lacked a lot of the heart that the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films had. Um, Larger scoff. Every scene with Uncle Ben and Aunt May in those movies are extremely heartfelt and moving um and like the movie operates under the presumption that everyone knows the origin of spider-man and before i thought you don't really need to do an origin story for certain characters but i felt like i felt like we need the motivation like we need more about uncle ben well like i don't know the supporting characters in this movie they didn't do a lot for me because this movie was too intertwined with Avengers bullshit. It didn't feel like it stood on its own feet. Um, and it really it bugged the crap out of me. Because Spider-Man is like the most rich character in Marvel, probably. And I'm not a huge Spider-Man guy. But like I say that recognizing that Spider-Man has the most history, the most depth of any of these characters. Um, it was pretty good, though. I mean, Vulture was amazing. He was the best part. Um, other than Kurt Russell in the second Guardians movie, I think he's the only good MCU villain so far. Uh, there's other aspects that involve spoilers, but I think it was it was it was all right. It was fine. I I enjoyed it. Did you say it was it was the second best Spider-Man movie you'd seen or third? You saw, you third. Saw, okay. Spider. Well, it was no Amazing Spider-Man. Or Amazing Spider-Man Two. This movie, <laughs> all right, we're done. Genuinely John. lacked the scene where the 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 construction workers lay a path for him to fight the lizard. <laughs> um, they had it with a way better scene instead. No. Yes, <laughs> it's literally the best like fake New York accent since. Hey, you gonna pick on a guy trying to save a bunch of kids, dude? That part- <laughs> Finally, we had a reason to shoehorn that in. I'm sorry, uh. this is like the smallest spoiler ever, but that thing with the fat guy at the hot dog stand was just amazing. Hey, aren't you that Spider-Man guy from YouTube? Oh yeah, do a flip. That was awesome. <laughs> So good. That was for the comics, pals. It was perfect. They, they listen to our show, man. <laughs> so uh, for me, I gotta say, uh, I I really love this movie. Oh, thank oh. God, Sean. <laughs> this is this is the episode where we backfill into a corner again. Uh, yep. I, Bill doesn't like good superhero movies. So I, love I, good superhero movies. I I don't talk about it a lot, but I'm actually a massive Spider-Man fan. Uh, it's just that I guess since I became a comics reader, um, Batman 
and other characters sort of overtook Spider-Man for me, but Spider-Man is the, f- the first comic book character that I fell in love with. And uh, so it's extremely important to me that his movies are good. And I always look forward to them hugely. Despite that fact, I wasn't looking forward to uh, Homecoming as much just because I guess I was burned from the last three that they made. You were also nervous for, I think, pretty legit reasons because usually like like – straight adaptions and this is not that and like all the trailers were really bad like all the trailers for this movie sucked do a flip (laughs) yeah and and also i was you know i was worried about like the fact that he wasn't gonna punch anybody i thought that was strange um but i i i really feel strongly that this movie succeeds on every level everything it tries to do works and i think everything it tries to do works amazingly um we've never seen a young yeah We've never seen a young Spider-Man before on screen. And even, you know, we got Toby. He was probably 17 years old. The character was in that film. He felt like an adult. Um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was probably around the same age in Amazing Spider-Man 1. Felt like an adult. This feels like a kid. You know, we know he's 15 years old. There's not like a huge gulf between 15 and 17. But this Peter Parker There like is emotionally though. Nah, 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 nah. So? I was 15 and I was 17 and I was basically the same person. Th- there's a gulf between this character and those characters in personality. Like, hugely. Way bigger than there is in real life for actual humans at those ages. And that that really resonated with me. I love the fact that he was youthful and young. He wasn't just young. Um, he made mistakes he, you know, he had a lot of passion. I loved his passion. I loved, it really came across that being Spider-Man is so important to him. Um, and, and I think, you know, to Phil's point, maybe it would have helped if, um, if we did get an origin just to know why he's so passionate about being Spider-Man. But re- regardless of that, it came through that he is really, really passionate. Uh, hold on, Pete. Hold on. Let me finish. Um, and and so I really appreciated that. I love the supporting cast. They didn't overuse anyone, uh, including Iron Man, which I know a lot of people were worried about. I didn't think he was overused. We'll get to t- more of that later. Uh, I loved Aunt May and her presence. I loved Ned. I, I loved everyone. They really gave me a reason to care about all these characters. Uh, I I do want to I do want to make the point that the Vulture was phenomenally used, like. So amazing, up there with the best villains we've had in comic book movies, regardless of whether it's the MCU or or otherwise. One of the only ones with a true character arc. And the last point that I want to make is that this movie was strengthened by the fact that we got introduced to Spider-Man already in Civil War. And that they were able to use the fact that the MCU already exists to establish characters in a way that it didn't take forever to explain that why they are the way they are. And a particularly um, great example of that is the Vulture. But that we'll get into in the spoiler section. So that's that's all I wanted to say. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the spoiler portion. Uh, before you guys do jump out of here, if you are leaving, uh, I want to say thank you for listening. And I also want to say that we are going to be doing a... Uh, Spider-Man episode next week and a companion piece to that episode 
is going to be releasing, which is our fir- the first I- episode of our book club, where we read uh, Craven's Last Hunt, the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man and Spider-Man Blue. So if you want to read those books, uh, you can do so, so that that will inform your listening to our special. That should be out uh, around the same time as this episode. And then, as I said, the next episode of the Comics Pals will be Spider-Man-centric, just like our Wonder Woman episode. So uh, come ready to listen to us talk more Spider-Man. Uh, and if you are leaving, thanks for listening and take care. Now, we'll jump into the spoiler section, and uh, I do want to uh, start by talking about Peter's journey through the film. Don't worry about, you know, not talking about the end or whatever. Just let's just talk about Peter's character and his arc throughout this film. Okay. Um, So I actually wanted to start there with my thing. So I wanted to respond to uh, Phil's point and one that I've heard echoed by several critics, which is that they felt the film needed an origin story. And I completely disagree um, because I think, yes, of course, the root of why Peter is Spider-Man is um, is Uncle Ben, right? Is the great power, great responsibility. That's, of course, true. But, A, I really would have been, I don't want to see another origin. We've had two Spider-Man origin stories in the last 10 years. Like, we don't need another one, or 20 years, I guess, for the first one. But we, we don't need another one. I, I totally don't think that's true. Um but I also think that, like, this arc and Peter's development in this film isn't so much about, like, him, like, it's about what it means to be Spider-Man for him, but I think it's less about, like, the in this scenario, right, because of where he's already at. He's already is Spider-Man. He's been Spider-Man for a while, and I think it's more about, like, him. And what being Spider-Man means to him personally and how it makes him feel bigger and more important and like he has a place in the world versus uh, out of that connection to Uncle Ben's death and that guilt and that responsibility. Like obviously that's still a core tenet of the character, but I think the story that we see here is definitely more focused on what he wants to do as Spider-Man and what his goals are as Spider-Man. 100%, yeah, but Pete, 100%. That, that motivation is lost without Uncle Ben, and the mentor figure becomes Tony Stark of all characters. Like, I, 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 I lose resonance with the character because like, the, the motivation, the heart is missing because it's all just it's the fucking meme man as his mentor. <laughs> yeah, but like, I will it's, say. It's not the same. Like, that's, like, he's his mentor for being an Avenger, not for being spider-man he already is spider-man but that's not clear in the movie like i don't get well, that feeling he he's his mentor for like being uh for being spider-man versus being a human which is what like uncle ben is like that that's what it is and that it isn't about uh necessarily peter picking up the the like taking on the mantle and becoming spider-man he is spider-man it's about him becoming uh a a better uh, a better Spider-Man and growing. Yeah, but again, like the the motivation, it 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 doesn't feel earned to me. It just feels like, oh, well, he's Spider-Man, and he's just trying to be a better hero. So, Uncle Ben motivates Peter to be a better person. In the in the original comic, he already is Spider-Man, and makes bad choices and then uncle ben is like hey man you know 
great power and everything. And then Uncle Ben's death motivates him to change who he is. But he already has the power. So I think that Uncle Ben is definitely the motivator for him to be a good person. In this film, Tony Stark is the motivator for him to be a good uh, hero. And not just hero with the costume on, but hero as a as a human being. Like, be a good, be a great hero. Um, and, and in the MCU, being a hero doesn't just mean the stuff you do when you have your costume on. And so I think that's what he was going for. But where I agree with Phil wholeheartedly is that there's a scene. So the scene where he's buried under the rubble and he's trying to come out. That, for me, that was the linchpin scene. And I was taken out of it when it was Robert Downey Jr.'s voice that Peter heard and not Uncle Ben's. I thought that that I thought that was the moment where we would have heard the great power, great responsibility line or seen a flashback or something. And for that to not happen took me so far out of the movie. Yeah, Uncle Ben's not even mentioned. It's completely uh, that's the whole thing. Like Iron Man is he replaces Uncle Ben and he's the worst fucking hero in the entire (laughs) MCU. He's a war criminal. He's a fucking war profiteer. He propagates the whole shield operation is basically like this, you know, um, capitalist war engine for more money. And this is the guy that's telling Spider-Man to be a better hero. I mean, the vulture basically says that later in the movie. He's like, yeah, well look how fucking Tony Stark made his money. Yeah. But that, but see Tony, Tony like deny, he doesn't deny it, but he like, he changes his ways in Iron Man One. Not, like, not really. He does, but then fucking Ultron. <laughs> but like, that's right, the whole but, point of Civil War is that Tony Stark is the biggest villain of the MCU. That's not the point of Civil War. And and you know what? Look, we're gonna talk about Tony a little later. Let's yeah. let's shift away from yeah, Tony. Yeah. I wanna I wanna talk about Peter because he's the main character. Uh, I thought that his arc in this film was really great. Um, we got to see him go from being, yes, a, a, a hero, um, but one who took risks and one who didn't understand what those risks could mean. Tony was adamant that he not try to be like the Avengers, that he just be himself and learn and grow. And Peter, like most young people, felt he was invincible. And he he in many ways is, but he didn't realize how his actions could cost others. That's why that bodega scene is so important. When that when he's fighting uh, those criminals in the bank and the bodega gets gets blown up, he realizes that he could have that that owner could have died, and that was such a huge moment for him. I think. Yeah. Uh, to to show him like there are real risks involved in this whole thing, and I've got to be careful. Yeah, because I think, like, a good point to that, right, is later on, Ned, when they're walking by, Ned's like, you were there? Like, you could have died. And he doesn't have any reaction to that. But it's the thing of, like, yeah, but this guy who I know, you know, my friend almost died, you know? There's a good line that the Vulture has where he's like, when you came in my door, I was like, really? Him? But now I see it. You've got grit. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's Peter Parker, man. I really liked I really liked uh, everything that they did with with Peter and Vulture. Um, but so with Peter, the the difference between this Peter Parker and every other version we've seen on screen is that this one is nerdy without coming across as like lame, like he does in 
Tobey Maguire's version. He's a modern he's, nerd. Yeah. He's picked on without drowning in sorrow, uh, which I really disliked about uh, not only the first film, but the actually the original comics and the ultimate comic, quite frankly. Peter's always just too, like, yeah. And this one is like, hey, all right, I'm not popular. People pick on me, but it's cool. He has friends, you know, like he has people who like him. He's smart and that's valued. I love that they sent that message that even though he's a nerd and flash picks on him and there's a segment of the people that go to that party later on who, you know, make fun of him. There are people who value him because of his intelligence and that he's fine. You know, he's a normal kid, just like everybody else. And I love that. they, I love that they showed that um, they gave him a best friend. All the other Spider-Man films, he's got nobody. This one, someone roots him to the ground, and he's got someone to play off of. He always had that, and I love that they gave him that in this film because it strengthens his character. It, um, it gives us it gives us a window into what it would be like to be his friend, and I thought that that was hugely important. And that's, that's something that we never got. Go ahead, Phil. Well, that's what's interesting is it strays from the source material. And that's something that people on the show always complain about is deviating from the source material. But if you can make something decent, it's fine. However, in the context of not my Spider-Man, I like Spider-Man to be nice and emo. And he wasn't emo enough. That's the thing, though, is like, I don't even think this is a deviation from the source material per se. It's just it's picking and choosing what aspects of the source material to borrow from. Because that character exists. He's just Miles' friend. Oh, I wouldn't mean that. Well, I I mean, I think... I think Phil Phil is right. Like, if you're talking about Peter Parker and you're talking about, you know, origin stories, it 100% deviates. But here's the thing. There's a difference in my mind, at least, between introducing Spider-Man with the baggage of the MCU versus introducing him as a fresh character with nothing coming before him. And so because of that, to introduce him in this way and not show him being a wrestler who uses his powers to make money to not show his relationship to uncle ben the way they did before to give him a friend this is a modern take on the character influenced by the marvel cinematic universe and to me that's not the same thing as sony just doing a new spider-man film they're 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 different Uh, apples and origins man that's what i'm saying huh i'm saying that like I think ultimately they took a lot of liberties and it was fine. I mean, my my beast with it were just because not my version of that, and that's fine. Like what you're saying is completely salient, and I don't disagree with it on a fundamental level. However, what I do take umbrage with is the fact that they did take liberties. It isn't super true to the source material, and it's totally fine when movies do that. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. I know, I know. So, but I'm just saying, this, I feel like this proves my point I made last week when we were talking about Venom. I would love to tackle you on that, but we've got so much more to talk about. Sure, It does not prove your point, though. <laughs> so, let the listeners know that Phil was right. Let's not do this. So, the Vulture. I want to talk about the Vulture, because I think that, you know, we, I think we all agree the Vulture well, was incredible. Wait, 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 wait. wait. There's, oh, sorry. Uh, there's something really important I wanted to say about Peter Parker, though. Yeah, actually, I had a little bit more to say, too, if we could... The ending scene when he rejects the Avengers, I think, was the most earned moment of the film. Yeah. Because it's about the person and hero that Peter Parker's trying to be. And him for him to say, you know what? I don't want this. I want to help the little guy. It felt like the most logical conclusion in the movie. 
Now, granted, some of that scene was ruined by Tony Stark, but that's what it is. He just ruined scenes. Oh my god! <laughs> but the scene with Phil. Peter Parker was awesome. I don't want Phil to be on these reviews anymore. <laughs> I love when Phil's on these reviews. Uh, so I agree with you. I actually think, and this is something that I'm saying off the top of my head, without like having rewatched all these movies. I think that might be the most earned moment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I agree, actually, maybe. I don't know. There's the, the the end of Civil War, like that whole stuff was really earned, I thought, and that was earned over a period of like six movies. And I think the resolution of the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie was earned too. I, this just for me was like, the whole movie was about him being desperate to join the Avengers, him seeing himself alongside the rest of that crowd and... And wanting to stand along the Titans and then realizing, you know what? It's actually pretty cool to not be that. It's pretty like, I don't cool need to, that. Yeah. It's pretty cool to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I think that that's kind of like us going from the deviation to the root. Like, oh, yeah. this is the Spider-Man that we all know. And, and that's like, what I thought, too. Because I was thinking in that scene, like, he's going to join the Avengers? Like, right. that doesn't feel right. I think yep. it's also the most complete... <clears throat> like character arc that we've gotten in, in any of these movies where it's like he wants something so bad and by the time he attains it he realizes that that's not really what he needed at all and you know it's like that it is all about like he felt like he needed to be an avenger because he wanted validation you know from iron man and from the greater superhero community or happy or whoever and like his even his friends too like yeah. that scene where he's thinking about jumping in the party as spider-man right oh, exactly yeah. it's, it's like a, it's a greater theme of just being accepted of being yeah of which is a very teenager problem and i think at the end he just comes to the realization that like you know to sean's point like i'm fine the way i am you know like i don't need all this you know and i think that that's a great place for that character's arc to end for this movie yeah right um, and Shit! I, I, if they didn't general, make another movie, I'd be good. This this would have been like the perfect story for the teenage years of Peter Parker. I I, feel. I totally agree with that. Um, that said, I am done with teenage being Peter Parker. Oh, God, I'm definitely <laughs> no. Him, you're not because I'm coming too. Yeah, no, I can't uh, wait. I'm so happy to get more. Um, and yeah, dude, I I think just like. One last note I'd like to touch on before we move on is like I I do think that like just the greatest strength of the film is that it gets the the thing that I'm always like driving home which is that like Spider-Man is Peter Parker, you know, and like I think it really it really makes a point of that. You know that the core of of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is that like Peter's ultimately, you know, in the same way that they kind of set up Captain America is that like, you know, he's a good person with like that drive and that there is something special about him. He has that grit, that tenacity, whatever it is. Um, and I think it gets that. There was that scene in the movie where he's laying under the rubble and he looks in like a puddle and he sees a reflection of half his face and half the Spider-Man mask, the makeshift one. And I thought, fucking Pete and Bessie. It's like, yeah, baby. I was like, oh, this is so good. This is my shit right now. That, that was phenomenal. <laughs> that moment and then the opening scene, like the opening, like, 15 minutes of the movie with like the, him vlogging and then him just like running around the neighborhood oh, yeah. like petting a cat he like fucking punches that guy who's just trying to break into his own car and then he sits there and like gets in a debate with all the neighbors and stuff like that's spider-man to me you that know, was like a him, great cameo for stan lee by the way that was so funny yeah that was a good one and then like him missing that jump you know like him being that teenager who is still figuring things out and making mistakes and just trying to be 
the best version of himself that he can be, whatever that means, you know, is like, that's what I want. It it also took, it took what, what all the other Spider-Man movies have done, which is that scene where it's like, oh, let me use my powers and screw up, you know, like how in uh, Spider-Man 1, like he flies into the billboard or whatever, yeah. Spider-Man 2, <laughs> you know, like they've always done those things. This one was like fun, you know, and like, it was just like the best version of those kind of montages where it's like. This is just a kid, you know, and he's like having such a good time. The way that if any of us were 15 and we got spider powers, we would be like that. Like we would have a blast, you know, I I, I think I would have, you know, like it, it just felt, I don't know. It just felt so right. It felt so on character for, for the story that they were telling. Yeah, it felt Spider-Man, you know, it's like and, and that's the thing is like, I also love my emo Spider-Man and my doom and gloom when it needs to be there. But we haven't ever gotten a movie that got this right. You know, that wasn't moody and trying to be cool. You know, it's like, no, it's fun. Like, Spider-Man is a fun character, you know? Like, Peter's got a sense of humor. Peter is, like, a fun-loving 15-year-old kid. And by the way, this isn't even my Spider-Man. My Spider-Man is married to Mary Jane. Uh, That's my Spider-Man, dealing with <laughs> the, dealing with adult problems. So I'm not necessarily, like... I don't need teenage Peter Parker, but I think the world needed to see this, and I personally needed to see this movie, and I'm glad that it that it it nailed all those pieces that we've never even seen before on screen. I loved when he interrogated Donald Glover. That was one of the best scenes in the movie. He's like, "Hey, man, you need to get better at this part of the job." Like, <laughs> I thought that whole scene, like Donald Glover's performance, was so small, but it was so good. Everyone in my theater got a kick out of the part where he tells them, the, the webbing will dissolve in two hours. You'll be fine. And he's like, what? No, you got to cut me out right now. He's like, You're no, bad guy, criminal. And he's, <laughs> like, he's I, like, I have ice cream in the trunk, man. <laughs> love that. Love that. So um, good. Any other things before we can move on? A uh, little nitpick, but I wasn't crazy about the Tony Stark Spider-Man costume. Like, it was too techy. I like it to be makeshift. With Karen and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, with Karen, yeah. like I didn't like any of that. I was like, "This is too techy." Like, I like Spider-Man to be, as Pete likes to put it, blue collar. Too that that felt that was a disconnect for me. I don't know. I, I think, bought it. I I think that was actually kind of part of the point. Was this kid? I mean, he's not even supposed to have access to that stuff. He, him, and uh, Ned broke the oh, programming the code or whatever. Yeah, and he got all that, and it was overwhelming. Uh, I thought I thought that was the point. Like this Maybe. isn't right. Yeah, he Maybe, renounces yeah. it, you know. And then even at the end, it's that decision to stay closer to the ground. And plus, like I mean, a lot of that stuff that he used was stuff that he actually has in the comics. Like Spider Man is a genius who uses tech. So like I know that like that's not necessarily what we think of when we think of him. But like the spider searchlight, like the spider drones, like the electro webs, all that stuff is stuff that we've seen in the comics before. Right. Uh, so let's let's talk about the vulture. So I really, really, really loved uh, the vulture arc in this movie, and I love how they used the Avengers to spin that off. Because obviously, anyone who knows the vulture's origin knows that this is way off base for the character, but uh, making him a hardworking uh, blue collar guy who's just trying to put food on the table and look out for his construction workers and someone who gets uh, screwed over 
by Tony Stark, which is like the <laughs> the motif of the MCU, right? Like everyone's everyone's screwed by Tony. Yep, he uh, sucks. And then taking taking matters into his own hands, first of all, is taking the like in a lot of ways they took the Norman Osborn arc and gave it to the vulture, which I liked a lot. I thought it worked really well. Um, but also it ties the vulture to Spider-Man in a really interesting way because Spider-Man's mentor is the guy that Vulture hates. And even despite that, Spider-Man and Vulture are both the same kind of guy, whereas Spider-Man and Tony are worlds apart in terms of the kind of person that they are. So I thought that there was a really awesome triangle that they created that the Vulture was a super important piece of. And giving him a family that mattered that we actually saw in the movie that he legitimately cares about, giving him a crew that he cares about, that he works with, that it's, that's important to him, motivations that, no, they were important. In, in, the, in the first scene, when he's talking to the woman from Damage Control, he says, look, I hired all these guys. They have families. Like, that mattered to him. I was just more alluding to the, the thing where he, like, just straight up vaporizes the shocker. And, he like, had to. Yeah. He had to. Because that guy was threatening the whole operation. So screw that guy. He had yeah, no, guy. you're right. I saw a lot of people criticizing uh, um, the Vulture because they felt like he turned to anger. He turned from like a nice guy to an angry guy too quick. That's bullshit. Number one, um, the way he got screwed over, anyone would be bad and jaded by that. Also, it was over eight years. Right. Especially in the United States where we value hard work and grind and to just have that taken away from you by some billionaire who doesn't even have the balls to come and tell you to your face that that's what's happening. Because it was Tony Stark's damage control. So so that is a story that really, really resonates to me, especially today. And on top of that, he's looking out for himself and his crew and his family. So he would do anything to protect that. There's not a working class person in this world who can't understand that. And when someone threatens that, yeah, you'll kill him. I mean, that's extreme, but that's him. To be fair, he also didn't intend to kill him. He said it was the anti-gravity gun, and then he's like, oh, well, he's dead. Yeah. Um, Well, that's what... The Vulture is a very compelling character in this movie because he's not wrong. Right. His methodology methodology is questionable because he's selling weapons to actual criminals. That's where the real problem comes from. But really, every time he opens his mouth, you're like, he's right. No, he's no. You're you're right, and it makes him all the more compelling and interesting. And he's got the most depth of any MCU villain. It it reminds me a lot of like how I felt about Kingpin, where it's like what you're doing is wrong, but I understand why you're doing it, and I don't think that you're like necessarily wrong for doing it. I I also think that it was so great how they made him smart. He. He's sitting in the car with Gwen, uh, with Liz and Peter. Oh, that was and awesome. And he just figures out, wait, cool this scene. kid's Spider-Man. Dude, everything from the very moment that he showed up at that door. By the way, what a twist, man. That was yeah. a legitimate wow. plot twist. Yeah. that I, yep. I haven't had a moment like that in a movie in like a decade. I didn't think about it for one second. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, was dude, really, like, really cool. That floored me. And then- I had I, a feeling- you would, you're good you at would. stuff like that, honestly. Like, you pick up on stuff like that, that, uh, like, you pulled that with Iron Fist a couple times. 
for yeah. shit that I didn't see coming. But this, I, I was thought- minor. I, I was a little bit surprised. I, I figured he would tie together with the high school, and so I thought it was gonna be like MJ's father or something. I, 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 I had a feeling something like that was coming. So I thought that too because of the the scene in the beginning with the drawing. I was like, he must have some kid that Peter is gonna end up knowing. But I yeah. wasn't expecting it to be Liz, and especially not in that moment where it's like, oh, he's going to the dance or whatever, and then it's just like... Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man. Like, I remember every, awesome. like, my whole theater was like, oh, I was like, shit. And then that... I sat in the edge of my seat. It that was so whole tense. car ride was yeah. so fucking tense. The way they shot it was really cool, too. They, they immediately switched, like, a like a big thriller horror thing with the uh, I don't know if you guys noticed but like the lights like when it clicked when it clicked for uh, for him at yeah. the stop sign like it was like his face got re- his face got red because of the lights that's awesome and then, then there were changes with like the the green light like across his face also and then uh, had a very like that, door kind of vibe yeah it was sick I, like that 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 whole moment that whole scene was like spectacular so I think like that speaks to a thing I want to touch on because I know we don't have like a section for it but like I honestly think that, like, the craft of this movie was surprisingly good. Like, I think a lot of these movies are, like, we judge them as superhero movies. I think this is actually one of the few that is, like, legitimately a good movie on its own. Like, it has a solid character arc. There's a lot of good, well-crafted moments. Mm. It still had that MCU flair yeah. of it. Uh, there were maybe a couple shots, like that one scene that we just talked about that was pretty good. But, yeah. I mean, other than that, I, I, I still think it was sort of... Uh, it still had that sort of bland MCU look. I don't know, man. Like it, it did to a degree, but I, maybe it's just because Spider-Man plays to that well, because that's kind of like I think like that's his wheelhouse. But yeah, to an extent, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I I actually thought to take it back to the Vulture. I thought that the final confrontation with him was one of the more interesting like final superhero battles that we've gotten because it wasn't just you know uh you know like like people punching each oh, other the, the one in the air you mean yeah like them yeah, fighting I, I, around I that the plane cool. like that was uh-huh. really cool i thought Th- those are cool and those are like cool effects like the way they had with like the colors and like the discoloration i mean the um, like the shards the invisible and, the jet and everything and, yeah, that, yeah like that that was that was pretty cool um I thought the, the audio design was really good. Like every time that the vulture was like swooping in and everything and the way it was like cutting through the air and the way it like mm-hmm. grinded up against the plane and everything, I was like, wow, this is like No, yeah, it was cool. The, the, those scenes were cool and um uh his 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 design in general I thought was pretty cool. Like yeah. the, the descriptions of him where where um Don Glover describes him as a demon. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah those eyes like they like they played those very well i think i i also want to point out the scene where vulture and peter or vulture and spider-man are talking and uh they're in the warehouse or whatever and they're talking and uh they're having this like kind of bonding moment it so reminded me of norman and and, yes. and peter yes, yes. Uh, Absolutely. but but he's just like he's like yeah, I was just I was just trying to distract you, and then the the suit swoops in, and Why it's like, wow, this? he's so smart, right? Um, and that's such a classic like superhero moment, you know? Yep. Where he's and, like, well, I figured you'd understand, and also I needed a moment to get my my wings moving. Yeah, I needed a moment to get her started. Yeah, and then the wings are tr- are just breaking the 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 
the beams down and he's like you missed he's like well yeah that's fair but i wasn't trying to hit you and then he just gets dunked on i thought that was genius and it just it made the vulture feel like such a smart guy like yeah yeah just so different than any of the other like they're all so dumb you know and here's a guy who's really intelligent and uses that as a weapon Right. Yeah, he's yeah. no Paul Giamatti Rhino, though. He's someone who, like, matches Peter on an intellectual <laughs> level as well as a physical level. Well, right. one one thing we talked about as a group during the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 review is a lot of MCU movies fall into the schlock of, oh, we gotta stop this doomsday device and this beam that's about to destroy the Earth. This movie had none of that. And yeah, to Pete's point earlier... It was refreshing. It's small stakes, and like that's what I like, you know, like in superhero stories. Like it's great to have a world saving story every once in a while, but it's cool that this is just like a personal kind of thing. And that like the worst thing that happens is, yeah, this tech gets stolen, and that's terrible. But like, whatever, you know, it's like it's it's not the end of the world or New York City getting fucking nuked. The consequences of him getting the the tech that he was trying to steal is not even something we would even experience. Like, he's just selling it to people, and we don't even know or care who he's selling it to. I loved that Vulture was like, for the for the longest time, we had the feds off our back, the Avengers weren't aware of us, like, we were just operating, and all of a sudden, this fucking kid cracks down on us. Like, he'd done such a good job for almost a decade of operating under the radar, to the point where he's pushed the desperation to rob from Tony Stark. And uh, before we move off of him, I just wanted to say, I thought it was like... This movie did such a good job of, like, learning from Spider-Man 3's mistakes of, like, their three legitimate, like, name, big name Spider-Man villains in this movie. And Who's the third? Shocker and Tinker. Yeah. Tinker? Tinker. The, the, guy, who, the guy who messes with their oh, weapons, yeah. that's the Tinker. Yeah, the one who built the vulture suit. Oh, the high altitude thing? Yeah. He was oh, the, that, was oh the, that guy? That guy. The, he's the brother the from other Orange two is were... the New Black. Yeah, utilized he, very sparing. Like they were used as real low key guys. They were supporting though. characters, and like that's perfect. Like it was cool that the villain had his own supporting crew, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure we'll see these characters again because the Tinker gives basically every fucking Spider-Man villain their tech, and the Shocker is the Shocker. So like, I since we're on the subject anyway, I'd like to point out that Vulture's gang was actually the enforcers yeah. from from the comics, which right. is really cool. Another black guy with electric powers. So let, let's move on because I would like this show to end at some point today. Um, no. So the supporting cast, we've already talked about a number of them. Uh, we haven't talked about Flash. And so I I initially was like, ah, come on. You know, what are they doing here? But I actually really ended up enjoying the Flash uh, because, first of all, it wouldn't have made any sense for him to be a jock in that school. That That's not logical um but he was still a, a, a an ass uh he still picked on peter um it wasn't physically it wasn't Penis physical Parker. in the way he was <laughs> in the way he was picking on him he was picking on him in a way that is you know that happens today you know and 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 it felt very modern um yeah i like that it wasn't somebody like physically intimidating peter and right. somebody that yeah, so like yeah. pretend to not be able to beat up and shit like i like that it was this dynamic of just like no like he's cool and i'm not and like he picks on me because i'm an easy target and i'm younger than him and i'm kind of a dork you know and like that makes sense uh liz what'd you guys think of liz 
I thought Liz was fine. serviceable. Yeah, I, th- I thought she was exactly what she needed to be. Like, I think basically every Peter Parker love interest that isn't Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy or Black Cat is kind of one note. And, like, I feel like Liz fulfilled exactly the role she needed to be for this movie. But also just, like, I think it was a kind of a realistic portrayal of what I think, like, relationships are like when you're that young. You know, where it's like, oh, I'm interested in this girl and we have this chemistry, but I'm not brave enough to say anything to her. And, like, I missed my shot and it was this kind of fleeting thing. It's like, that's kind of realistic. Like, that happens. And she moved away and he'll move on. For for the first like hour, I I, I didn't hear her name uh like when when she was first introduced because I don't know what I was doing. Um, I think I think that was like the moment I was texting you guys like, hey, like I'm I'm I was digging the movie or something. And uh, <laughs> okay, I, Marco's I thought, an, that guy who texts in the middle of the movie. God, yeah, I really like, this monster. <laughs> I, I thought I thought for like the first hour that she that uh, she was Mary Jane. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess they're treating her like the Mary Jane. Like, all right, I, I guess it's okay. And then she said, Liz. And, I'm, and I turned to my brother. I'm like, wait, who's Liz? He's like, that, she's like what do you mean? That's her. I was He's like, like no, pay Mary attention Jane. to the fucking movie, older yeah. brother. Um, so that was it. Like, so Hot I, it, take. It, it, it confused me for like the first hour of the film. That's very not surprising. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, any thoughts about? Well, we talked about Ned. I don't really think we need to. Fine, he's fine. Yeah. I enjoyed him. Uh, he was a cool. good. He was a good best friend for Peter, but you know, fine. I liked his moment where he kind of helps out Spider Man and defeats the Shocker. I thought that man was really the cool. chair. <laughs> oh, man, man the chair. chair. That was cool. Uh how about Aunt May? Any thoughts on Aunt May? I did not like her. Why not? I she. There was no heart to her. Like she was just, she was just funny and hot. That was her character. There was no depth. Where the original, like the traditional Aunt May, there's like a lot of warmth to the character. Like there's a reason why Peter comes back home to her all the time. Like and then in this movie, she just feels like a meme too. And I wasn't about it. I completely disagree. Like this is the first time Aunt May was actually a character. Mm. Like really, I disagree. Yeah. There's a line in yeah. Spider-Man Two she has where I'm like that there. More heart in that line, uh, in that movie, which I'm forgetting at the moment, than anything in this movie. Yeah, but I again, like, that, I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I think it, it ignores, like, the point I'm trying to make, which is, like, I think in, like, the Sam Raimi films, like, it's very true to how Aunt May is portrayed very frequently in the OG Spider-Man comics, is that, like, she's, like, there's not much to her. And it's like, yeah, cool, like, she's there to deliver, you know, this great one-liner that sums up, like, where Peter's at emotionally or whatever and, like, give him this, like, nudge he needs to move forward or whatever, you know? Like, great, but that's a plot device. And, like, she's she's can can I finish my point? No! And I I think in this, like, I, I really like the scene with her, like helping him get ready for the dance and like trying to teach him how to dance and dropping him off and, you know, giving him that advice. Like I felt like they had more, like it felt more realistic. Like there's like interplay there, not, Oh, I show up at this pivotal moment in the story so that you can be like, you're not Superman, you know? And it's like, yeah, great. Like that's a really great memorable movie moment, but I don't know. I like that. I actually felt like there was something to their relationship this time around. Uh. I think I think her character wasn't as well rounded as it could have been. I felt she, like you're right that she had those those like little moments, but I don't think that they were necessarily 
impactful to Peter's like to like the larger story of Peter. Like yeah. he just he just kind of got she helped him get ready for the prom. It's like all right, but that's not the story, and I don't I don't think she played a role in like the story. Yeah, the lack of Aunt May and Uncle Ben really I think hurt Peter's character arc. I think it hurt the story. Eh, I don't know. I I honestly think it that like overblows her importance in terms of like greater spider-man narratives generally you know i think she is more connected to peter's life than it is to spider-man and the previous set of or not previous set but the original set of films definitely has her be more of a linchpin to the overarching narrative but like that's not a thing that's i don't think it's necessarily a thing that's like true of her as a character though what yes it is they're her uh mom pa kent uncle ben and aunt may that's so important. Those are so vital to both Superman and Spider-Man as characters, I think. You're right, but I don't know. I didn't feel like that wasn't represented. I did, but, you know. Uh, so, are there any other supporting characters we didn't mention? Yeah, the <laughs> MJ. Oh, Michelle, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I liked her. You know, I thought she was fine. I think I think um, she was cool, but she didn't really have a reason to be in the movie, necessarily. She added a different kind of character to she it. She was extra but, uh, comic relief behind Ned. Yeah, in a movie that had so much comic relief. I was laughing, like, literally the entire time. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't care for the, like, MJ thing. But it's been confirmed that she's not Mary Jane Watson. She just happens to have those initials. That's um, weird. But, but she will right. not be, she will not go on to become Mary Jane. That's not who she is. Um. So let's talk a little bit about the action. We already kind of went over the final scene. Uh, do you guys? What do you? What do you guys think about the action in this film? It's good. Yeah, I thought it was cool. good. Um, I think the big final fight's good. I think overall it does a good job of like giving us a variety of like fun spider moves and things that you know that we've seen Spider-Man do across different medium mediums. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I thought it was solid. The only thing I thought was weird was like, or not necessarily weird, but like. Um, was pointed out to me that like he doesn't seem to have spider sense. Yeah, I was wondering that too the whole time. He, he doesn't. Um, so uh, he, he he's overwhelmed by his senses. That's why he wears the goggles. And we see a scene where he takes them off, and he's like totally disoriented when he's when he's fighting the vulture um, because he, he's overwhelmed. He's not yet matured enough into his powers to where spider sense is something that he can handle. Uh, they made a deliberate choice not to use it in civil war as well. And this is the, the reasoning behind it. But the, the like meta reason is because they felt like spider sense was overused in the, the previous five films. So they wanted to try something different, but he will develop it over time. That's also like, I'm pretty sure that's what happens in ultimate. It's like a pretty similar thing where his spider sense is not very good in the beginning. So, I, yeah, that's fine. Like, that was a thing that I thought, I thought like, it was weird, but it didn't bother me. I went into the movie already knowing what I just said. So, because I already knew, I was cool with it. And also, we the same thing happens in Civil War. Like, he gets, he gets hit by everything. And... You know, if, if if you didn't figure it out, then you know, like um, so so I didn't care, and it gave him a vulnerability that I liked because there was so much that he wouldn't have been affected by had he did have had he had yeah, sense. like we wouldn't have gotten that cool moment of like the vulture just literally swooping out of the fucking ground and dropping him in the fucking uh, Hudson River or whatever, you know, right. like that was, was awesome. Yeah, by the way, yeah. 
Every, what a cool moment. Everything they did action-wise with the Vulture I thought was perfect. I liked the Vulture as a character. This exceeded my expectations in terms of his action sequences. Um, so I, I, I've, I've been looking forward to seeing him on screen since the rumored Spider-Man 4 of the Sam Raimi films. And I really loved what they did here. Uh, one last point about the action or an action scene is that I really loved that Spider-Man doesn't beat the Vulture. The Vulture really? beats himself. Yeah, that, yeah that, that was my one like issue with the oh. movie. There you we didn't go. like that? Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it. No, continue, uh, Sean. Uh, I, I liked it because we always see the hero win. And to me, it's not necessarily that it's unrealistic. It's more that um, it's more characteristic that Spider-Man would have lost simply because we've seen the Vulture outsmart him the entire film. Uh, he's more used to his powers than Spider-Man is because he's been doing this for a while, or at least that's the impression that we're meant to get. Uh, and Spider-Man is worn out, and he's nervous, and he's uh, all all these different things. He doesn't know how to use the full potential of his suit yet, so I think it makes sense that he loses this fight. He's in over his head, and that's the point of the movie. So for him to come out triumphant against the Vulture wouldn't have felt really earned to me, but what was earned was that he ends up saving his life because the Vulture can't stop himself, so Spider-Man saves him. Right. And I think um, that's very characteristic of Spider-Man is that like generally speaking, if you're talking about a meat and potato Spider-Man comic, he fights a person who's stronger than him. They beat him. Then he fights them again and outsmarts them and like overcomes them through, you know, not through through purely physical means. And that's basically what happens, you know, and and then he gets the moral high ground. I sort of thought that. Because cause, uh, I definitely agree, like, that's how the story usually works. Like, he gets beaten, and then, like, he sort of outwits him or beats him again or in, like, the the rematch. But in this one, he just kind of, like, and like, not that didn't even happen. He just kind of screwed himself over, which was something that I didn't, uh, yeah, it, it just it didn't feel believable because he he had been he had planned all this stuff like he was prepared he was ready and he was so desperate he, though at that point you know like he was so, he had that whole thing of like i'm gonna take one of these things no matter what like i'm not leaving this empty-handed we need this this score we're done i mean they had a fight vulture one you know like that's that's something that happens and i don't think that I don't think it says anything negative about Spider-Man that he lost that fight because, again, we're watching a movie about a 15-year-old kid who's trying to learn how to be a hero, and he's not hes not any of the other Avengers. Any of the other Avengers would have just won that fight, and it would have been the same thing we see in every movie, but Spider-Man's different, and I think that he was different even down to his last fight and that he doesn't win, but he saves the villain. All these other dudes kill their enemies. Spider-Man yeah, made the, the choice suck. to save his life. And I thought that that said more about him than it would have said for him to just beat him. One thing that Pete kept saying that was interesting is how grounded Spider-Man was, but the vulture represented the air. And every time he lifted Spider-Man into the air, Spider-Man was relatively helpless. Yeah, and there was a really great like foreshadow for that, like for those... Um like that that final battle and stuff and like taking him into the air with all the Pete being afraid of heights and all that stuff 
Like, yeah, I was, was gonna really, say. Yeah, that's a great point. That whole thing with the Washington Monument played into that really well too. Of like, mm-hmm. stay on the ground, get back on the ground, kid. You know, like all that. Right, stuff. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Great, great point. Um, so we talked about Tony Stark quite a bit earlier. I don't think we need to really rehash that stuff too much, yeah, he unless just anyone has. <laughs> Can Phil just not talk during this point? We know he doesn't like Tony Stark. Um. I thought he was used appropriately. You know, like I think a lot of the fears that people had were um, I shared as well of like, I don't want Tony to like overshadow Peter in this movie or to have like too much time on screen. Um, And I think he's on screen for probably like all said, like maybe 10, 15 minutes for like of a movie that's two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, but he was he was overbearing. I don't agree. He was a little. And like, I really just like, I don't have anything else to say, but beyond that, Phil, I'm sorry. Um, so I think he like was there to push the plot along for Peter about this overall thing of like him realizing he doesn't need to be an Avenger and he doesn't need to be Tony Stark because he's Peter Parker. And I think he is the character that makes the most sense for that role in the universe that they've set up. You know, who Iron Man is in the MCU, who he is as, like, the unofficial leader of the Avengers. Um, You know, that's the guy. And he's also a scientist. Like, him and Peter have a lot in common aside from their uh, upbringing. And I understand why. Like, they have a relationship like that in the comics to a certain degree as well, you know? So I get why we would have Peter look up to that character in particular. And I thought... Um, I thought it just, it made sense for what they were trying to do. And I thought as like a plot device, he worked well. I do agree with the the point you made about um, that linchpin moment of him being pinned and him hearing Tony instead of Uncle Ben is like, uh, just like tonally dissonant. But I understand why for the sake of this film, like if you're talking about like a movie like being a singular thing, right? Like that makes sense for the movie that they made. But in terms of, like, for the character, yeah, it should have been Uncle Ben's voice. But um, otherwise, I thought, yeah, I thought it played well. My, my last note, uh, it's a positive one. It's that scene where he breaks out of the rubble. Um, that was, I think, the one of the best scenes in the, of the film where he's just like, come on, Spider-Man, come on, Spider-Man, and he breaks out. Like, I, I bought it hard. That, 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 was, that was a scene for me where I totally related to him. And I love and that he says, that "Come on, you Peter! Too, right? Come on, Spider-Man!" Yeah, all the time. I get, I get um, when I get dogpiled. Yeah. <laughs> what? Anyway, come uh, on, Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, final impressions. I dug it. I'm um, looking forward to number two. He means he's gonna poop. I really, really love this movie. I thought it it had all the heart and charm that a Spider-Man movie needs to have. And um, I thought it was a perfect way to tell the story of Peter Parker's sort of introduction to the MCU because Civil War was a tease. This was like the real deal. And uh, I thought this was a perfect way to do it. I wouldn't have changed a thing except for um, actually now that I knowing that Michelle is not MJ, there's nothing I wouldn't I, I would have changed other than I guess the. The Uncle Ben thing. I think Uncle Ben should have played a role on some level. Maybe a picture of him in the house. And definitely when Peter was buried, he should have seen his uncle. Uh, other than that, I didn't have any problems with the movie. I thought it was virtually flawless. 
if I had to rate it and give it a numerical rating, I would give it a 9 out of 10, a 9.5 out of 10 maybe. I really, really loved it. Um, cast did great. Michael Keaton was phenomenal. This guy is a, 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 an amazing actor, and I love what he brought to this. Tom Holland. Yes, Birdland. I, I do, I do have to see it. Uh, Tom Holland did a did a great job. Robert Downey Jr. I loved everything. I loved Gwyneth Paltrow making an appearance at the end. So glad she's um, back. Yeah, there's just I just don't have any really anything negative to say. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I wish it wasn't part of the MCU. That's uh, that's like the main thing. Uh, it it was distracting. It took away from the movie. Um, otherwise it was fine. It was a serviceable Spider-Man movie. It was definitely better than the Amazing Spider-Man. I never saw the second Amazing Spider-Man, so I, so I can't speak to that accord. But it was better than Spider-Man Three as well. But um, it was definitely nowhere near as good as the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies in my mind. Um, but it was, it was pretty good. I, I, numerically, I'd give it maybe a seven out of ten, six and a half out of ten. Rank it somewhere in the middle of the MCU. It kind of blends in with the other ones, I think, outside of the ones that really stand apart, like Winter Soldier or Civil War or the Guardians films or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's not bad. Pretty good. Phil, now that I'm on Pete's side, I, I'm, I'm realizing what a monster you are. Yeah, how annoying it is to have to fucking deal with this crap from you two every week. <laughs> <laughs> That's my genuine opinion. Yeah. From you two? Which two? Oh, he means Marco. Marco and I. Yeah. Marco's, <laughs> just, Marco's just trolling me, though. He goes out of his way to just get a rise out of me. Um, so, uh, upon... I have to see it again, but I think upon reconsideration, I, I definitely think it's the best Spider-Man movie there's been so far. I think it's the first one that really captures the spirit of the character. And um, I think... I, I would agree with Sean's rating. I think I'd place it somewhere between a 9 and a 9.5, probably. Um, I'm with you where, like, I really don't think there's much I would change. You know, I think in terms of what I wanted from it, it did it. You know, it gave me the the interpretation of Spider-Man that I most identify with, uh, at least in terms of, like, him as a kid. Um, I think it took a lot of really, like, good creative, um, not necessarily risks, but liberties that I think panned out well uh, for the most part. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think overall it's, it's really, it played directly into what I wanted. Like if I was building a Spider-Man movie within the MCU, I can't imagine I would have done too much differently. So I'm, I'm probably biased, but I also think that because I'm a Spider-Man fan, like I judge these a little more harshly than I think a lot of other people did or not this movie these movies because i really don't like the amazing spider-man movies very much at all and i think a lot of people seem to think that they're pretty good um what i don't think that's really? true what that a lot yeah. of people like them yeah i no, think those are commonly panned hate i mean movies. the first one was like pretty critically successful i remember but whatever um i feel like people maybe don't remember them as well as they did when they were seeing them at the time but that's not here here nor there um so yeah i mean i I recognize my bias, but I think in spite of that bias, I do really think this is a standout movie among the Marvel camp, and um, I think it's clearly the best Spider-Man movie. Cool. Um, so that's going to do it for our review of the film. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing our interpret our impressions of the movie. Obviously, uh, we all thought it was pretty good, and then varying degrees of success from there. Oh, wait, Marco. He went first. 
Oh, you did. That's right. That's right. Sorry. I just I was trying to remember his rating of the film, but I get he didn't give a. a I didn't give one. Rating. Do you nine. have a rating just arbitrarily? Uh, I give it like a nine. All right. Cool. I was impressed. Um, and we'll we'll get Kale's reactions uh to the film when he's back on the show. Uh, so thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Again, I want to reiterate that next week we will be doing a Spider-Man centric episode. So come back for that. If you want to hear more of us talking about Spider-Man and again, uh, the book club, our first ever book club episode will be releasing this week. So uh, look for that. And the books that we read are Spider-Man blue Craven's last hunt and ultimate Spider-Man volume one. So um, pick up those books and read them along with us. If you'd like to, and uh, definitely do return for next week we thank you very much if you want to let us know what you thought about this episode there's a lot of ways you can do that you can do it by leaving us a star rating on itunes um you can check us out there you can also leave a comment there uh we are on most podcast hosting platforms uh you can leave us a you can drop us a line wherever social media is sold we are at the comics pals also be sure to leave us a follow there as well uh, you can write to us at the comicspals at gmail.com and YouTube. You can like this video. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, you can leave us a comment there. Uh, you can subscribe to our channel and you can share the video. Uh, there's a lot of exclusive content on our YouTube page, including our wizard world, Philadelphia interviews, which at this point or during this week are all up. So check all that stuff out. And, uh, there's, there's some really interesting stuff coming down the pipe on youtube so i really encourage you guys to um jump on that now uh as things develop so that's gonna do it for us uh before we wrap let's do some plugs pete all right guys so thank you for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to check out some more of our content make sure you tune in tomorrow for the video game pals with me and sean and um you know we're gonna be talking about Video games. <laughs> and then if you want some more uh, stuff from me, you can check out my writing over on CBR.com. Uh, I should have a new article coming out this week about The Flash, but we'll see if I get it done in time. Uh, if not, you can go check out my Wonder Woman pieces I've been plugging for the last couple weeks. Go click on them again. Help me pay the rent. And uh, if you want to connect with me on social media, you can follow at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram and talk to me about Spider-Man Homecoming. Awesome. Uh, Phil? Well, first, let's do Kale's. Um, where can we find Kale, guys? At T-O-T-O. 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 W-O. He does He does that. You can find me at Toto and Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. There you go. As for me, I think I'm going to rewatch the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies tonight, actually. Or one of them. I'm being being authentic, actually, because I haven't seen either of them in, like, seven years, I think. Live tweet it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can check that out tonight, folks. I'll probably watch the first one. So check it out on the Comics Pals Twitter. So if you're saying you're doing it tonight, shouldn't you watch it on Monday when this goes live? I... No concept of time. <laughs> yeah, well, check it out. It'll be up between Saturday and Monday. We'll do that. I'll just say that. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CyborgBebop. And uh, you can tell me and affirm how great I am. I'm sure that's what they. I'm sure that's what the people want to do. Uh, Marco? 
you can find me at woe is marco on instagram and woe is marco uh underscore on twitter um you can talk to me you don't have to <laughs> but you could tell them how naruto is a great anime oh uh, naruto is not i mean it's all right anime but like take a deeper dive guys like come on be better <laughs> Uh, and as for me, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. Uh, you can write to me to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming and how great it is. Uh, or we can sing the praises of Grant Morrison, uh, me being the only Grant Morrison fan oh on the show. Oh, my God. Or we can talk about Jean Grey. Uh, but those are the only things you should message me about because otherwise I won't respond. Wrestling. Um, Tweet at Phil Casey and tell him how uh, Iron Man is your favorite character in the MCU <laughs> and that capitalism is the only system of government that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for us. We're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.